following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Today is the beginning of a new sermon series entitled Life in Christ, which is a natural follow-on to series we've been doing about the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We'll be looking in this series at how Christ brings new and everlasting life. Let's be in a moment of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Recently, Mavis and I were at Disney World, and on a couple of occasions, we encountered people who were there for a wedding. One morning, while people were lined up for the Ratatouille ride in the France area of Epcot, a bride and groom and a photographer came strolling into a courtyard to do photographs in front of a fountain. A fountain, incidentally, which which featured rats and wine bottles. People burst into applause. Everyone loves a wedding. Jesus went to a wedding at Cana in Galilee, as we heard in the gospel reading this morning. We refer to this story every time that we do a wedding in our church. Jesus' presence at a wedding is seen as, in a sense, his blessing on the institution of marriage. But Jesus would also use the picture of the wedding celebration as a general picture of joyous life. We find that in a number of his parables and teachings. Jesus' actions at Cana in Galilee would be a clear picture, a sign of his life-giving power. As it was said in our passage at the end, this was the first of his signs. At the wedding, the hosts ran out of wine. At a Jewish wedding in the first century, to run out of wine would have been deeply embarrassing for the bride and groom's families. Jesus' mother seemed to think that Jesus should do something about it. Jesus at first appeared to resist her suggestion. He said, What concern is that to you and me? I mean, why should he be the one to solve the shortage of wine? And he said further, my hour is not yet come. He was clearly indicating that his mission is not to solve people's little daily frustrations. I I know of people who have prayed to Jesus for a parking space or who've prayed for the light to turn green when they're running late. But to such prayers, Jesus would likely answer, what concern is that to me? It was not for this that I came into the world. Jesus would be drawing us, of course, into something much larger. At Cana, the practical matter of the wine shortage was in itself of no particular concern for Jesus. But Jesus' mother sensed that something bigger, something more significant was about to unfold. She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Note her faith here in Jesus. She's not sure really what he's going to do, but she trusts he is going to be at work uh, with a spiritual power. The story proceeds with a description of six stone water jars 
which were used for the ritual washings that were a part of of the daily uh, laws for uh, Jewish living. The jars were likely of varying sizes. They are described as holding 20 to 30 gallons each. So we've got about 150 gallons of capacity here altogether. Jesus told the servants to fill the jars to the brim with water. Jesus then performed the first of his miracles. He changed the water into wine. For years, many Christians in America have had some difficulty with this story because they've been a part of churches which taught that drinking alcoholic beverages is a sin. Jesus here not only turns water into wine, he turns 150 gallons of water into wine. And that after people have been drinking already. But in fact, the Bible never teaches that drinking alcoholic beverages is sinful. Biblical teaching does warn against the abuse of alcohol and the perils of heavy drinking. The book of Proverbs says, Wine sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly, but at the last it bites like a serpent. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea on the top of a mast, swaying back and forth. To get drunk is foolish, say the scriptures. But wine itself is seen as a good gift of God. As it was said in that passage we heard from the Psalms, God gives wine to gladden the human heart. Moderate drinking is approved throughout the Bible, and Jesus would even use wine at the Last Supper as a symbol of his own blood. So how did some American Christians, including many Methodists, conclude that drinking is a sin? It happened because of rampant alcohol abuse in our society, particularly in the 19th century. Church leaders became so concerned about problems stemming from alcohol that they began to denounce drinking altogether and finally concluded that alcoholic beverages should simply be banned which led, of course, to Prohibition, which, of course, was a disaster. Even after Prohibition, many churches kept their strict anti-drinking stance. At the same time, those same churches wanted to insist that Christians should follow the teachings of the Bible. But how could they say that wine is bad when the Bible says that wine is a blessing of God? And Jesus actually provided a wedding with the equivalent of 750 bottles of it. This became a classic case of Christians twisting the Bible to make it say what they wanted it to say. Some church folks admitted that Jesus drank wine, but they insisted then that what he drank must have been unfermented wine or grape juice. The problem is that unfermented wine did not exist in the first century because as soon as you crush grapes, the yeast on the grape skins and floating around the air gets into the juice, starts working on the sugars, and produces alcohol so that even so-called new wine has a kick. Others wanted to argue that Jesus and his disciples had to drink wine because the water was bad. 
But in fact, people in Galilee and Samaria and Judea drew their water out of deep wells. The water was not bad. It was fine to drink. It was the regular daily beverage for everyone. There is good biblical basis for working against alcohol abuse, which is why we encourage young people to abstain from drinking. We support ministries to help people who are suffering from alcohol abuse, such as AA and Al-Anon, chapters of which meet in our building. And we actually serve grape juice in communion out of concern for anyone in the congregation who is dealing with alcohol problems. But there is no biblical foundation for that long-held attitude that drinking itself is a sin. Of course, Christian believers have often fallen into a pattern whereby they will follow biblical teaching up to the point where it collides with something else that they are inclined to think. We are seeing a current example of that in some statements that have come recently out of the Russian Orthodox Patriarch in Moscow, who has been very supportive of Putin. Three days after the invasion of Ukraine, in a sermon last Sunday, Patriarch Kirill said, We must not let dark and hostile external forces laugh at us. We must do everything to protect our common historical fatherland from all outside actions that can destroy unity. Other Christian leaders around the world have been appealing to the patriarch to try to be a positive influence on the, on the Kremlin, to, to push on the grounds of Christian teaching and Christian values for an end to the war. But unfortunately, he appears to be much more influenced by nationalist thinking than by authentic Christian values. And this, of course, is a widespread phenomenon. People who claim the name of Christian can easily abandon the teaching of Jesus in favor of other cherished ideas. What is needed in every age is a transformation of human hearts and minds so that we begin to truly act and think in the spirit of Jesus. And this brings us to the meaning of the miracle at Cana. Jesus took water, bland Dull, ordinary. This is the most ordinary water. This is the water they use for ritual washings, like taking dishwater. This is just blah stuff. Jesus took that water and he turned it into wine. Wine, which throughout the Bible represents abundance, goodness, fullness, richness, life, joy. Jesus thus gave us a picture of what he can do in us. Jesus can bring new life, new vision for how we should live, new respect for God's word, new commitment to God's purposes, new zest and vigor for being God's people. Christ can transform us, transforming our attitudes, our behaviors, our relationships, our situations in life. Above all, Christ transforms human spirits so that we are not simply Christian in name only, but we can actually live in his spirit. The gospel story notes that the good wine came with Jesus. We approach the fullness 
of what life as God's people can be when we let Christ work within us. A Methodist poet, Joette MacDonald, who's a member of one of my former churches, expressed it all very well in these words. Christ at a wedding, I wish it were mine, laughed with the guests and turned water to wine. Off with the old, in with the new, Christ celebrating and miracles too. Take thou my life, Lord, tepid and bland. Touch my earthen vessel with your powerful hand. Stir depths within me, the brackish refine. Add sparkle and flavor and turn me to wine. Let us pray. Lord, with the miracle at Cana, you gave us a powerful picture of the transformation that you can work in human lives. Oh, Lord, we pray that you might touch us with that transforming power of your spirit. When we are feeling weak and ordinary and and flawed, open our hearts, Lord, to how you can be at work in us with new empowerment, with your forgiveness and your healing, with your enablement to live as your people. When we see the world around us so full of trouble, enable us to recognize, O Lord, that you are at work for transformation. We can find hope and new vision in you. Lord, as we share in in this life in which so much, so often is amiss, Help us to see how you bring about newness of life. You can bring about new things within us, within the world around us. You are at work to lead us in fresh ways into the fullness of life that we have as your people. Will Lord work within us today that we indeed might be raised afresh into that newness of life that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for how we are drawn through your spirit together, how together we can grow in your grace. And we do reach out to persons in our church who are in times of particular need. Remember people who are dealing with illnesses or injuries, and we pray especially this morning for Chris Sheldahl. We remember people who are mourning. We lift up the family and friends of Janet Cernkovich, giving thanks, Lord, for her many years of participation in, in this worship service, her witness in the life of our congregation. We also lift up the family and friends of Karen Barlow, giving thanks, O Lord, for the tremendous impact that she had on the lives of many young people in this community. Lord, guide us as we would find hope in you and the assurance of everlasting promises. We are drawn to reach into the larger world as well, O Lord. We join with our fellow United Methodists at the Civilian United Methodist Church to be at work in mission. And we lift up especially the people this morning of Ukraine, praying for new hope in that land. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in people who are dealing with tremendous trial and tremendous evil, that they might find their real hope in you and know that your spirit is at work with strength, with encouragement. Guide us, Lord, as we seek to be instruments of your help in these days. 
We pray your work among our church in broader ways, O oh Lord, as we deal with trying times, both within and without. Lead us, Lord, as we find that real life that we have as your people. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you this morning, especially for the gift of a little Amelia Ann Stout, that, that new life that was just born. And help us to see, O oh Lord, how that new life comes afresh to us spiritually as we look to you in faith. Lord, touch us with your transforming hand today as we lift our hearts to you, putting our trust in you and giving to you the praise. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.